If I can be honest with you, today is probably my second least favorite day of the year, preceded only by yesterday. Reason being is this, I love the holidays. About August every year, I realize that the holidays are coming, right? I've, I've, it's just kind of this internal clock that ticks off. There's always a moment late in August where I'm like, oh, football season's around the corner. And then Halloween, and then Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and my birthday, and my wife's birthday, and my daughter's birthday are all in there. It's just this really great time of celebration. And then January 1st hits, and I realize it's all over. And then there's just this long slog to get back to that time again. It's cold, right? Especially today. And it's just kind of miserable. And, and, it's, and it's hard, I think, for some of us sometimes to understand how our day-in, day-out, year-in, year-out existence is actually part of something much bigger, much more meaningful, right? This thing that we talk about around here, the gospel or the kingdom of God, how, how just the, the kind of simple and, and the kind of um, painful at times things that exist in our everyday lives are actually part of and wrapped up in, in this amazing thing that God is doing in our world. And as we look at our passage today, we see a small family and a group of people that are facing the very same sorts of things. All of the pomp and circumstance of Christmas is over, right? The angel choirs have sung the weird old people with their weird prophecies in the temple are done. All the songs of hope have finished, right? And now, as we read, they're just going home. Back to what they have always known. Back to people who judged them because apparently this young woman had a child out of wedlock and her husband is still with her. And, and back to poverty, and just back to the day to day and year to year over and over again. So in light of that, let's read. Starting at verse 39 of chapter 2 of Luke, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers." And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you that you saw fit to come and you saw fit to meet us right where we're at, that you came in our midst. Jesus, as we read your words, as we read about your childhood today, I pray that you would open our hearts to what it is that you would have to say to us. 
let me not be in the way of what you want to speak um, to my brothers and sisters today. God, I pray that they would be blessed and encouraged and challenged as they go out. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So when we come to this story, if we are honest, we really have to ask ourselves, why is it here? And I mean that in this sense. Um, there's not much else that we know about Jesus' childhood. This story, Luke picked it, and he put it in here. And, and from the sense of a narrative, it doesn't really do much for the story. Now, certainly, it's, it's pretty amazing that Jesus, a 12-year-old boy, enters the temple, and he gets the attention of all of the teachers. But in light of everything else that we're going to read in Luke, if we were to read on, it's, it's not that great, right? I mean, it's certainly not walking on water or turning water into wine or raising somebody from the dead, right? He's a little boy who, I mean, a little boy, young boy, who is teaching some older people in the church, kind of doing what we're doing today, right? So it's not, it doesn't really do much for the narrative. And so we also have to wonder, like, why out of all of the stories that could possibly have been chosen from Luke's life, or from Jesus's life, did Luke choose this one? I think that Luke had a very specific purpose for choosing this story out of Jesus's life to include in his narrative. And the reason I think Luke chose this has a lot to do actually with why we're here today or why we're able to gather here on January 2nd of 2022. It's because what I think is happening here is that Luke is signaling to all of his readers and what Jesus is signaling to the people in the temple, though they don't quite understand it, is that he's doing something much bigger than they ever expected. That Jesus is actually inviting all of the outsiders in He's speaking to the Gentiles and saying they have been part of the plan all along. I think Luke gives us a few clues that lead us to that. And the first is this. There's a structure to this story. In verse 40 and verse 52, there are these two phrases about Jesus growing in wisdom. And in one sense, he grows in strength. and another one, he grows in stature. But the idea is that he's growing in age. He's getting older in experience in both But the way that Luke puts it is he mirrors it. In verse 40, Jesus first grows in strength and then wisdom. And then in verse 52, he grows in wisdom and then stature. See how they mirror each other. And what I think Luke is doing here is he's bracketing this off as if to say, pay close attention to this story. This one's really important for everything else I'm about to share with you. Because there's something that's really big that happens in this story. Now there's also this sense for Jesus that there's these two sections of his childhood that Luke is kind of bracketing off. And one is everything that happens before he's 12 years old and everything that happens after he's 12 years old. Before he's 12 years old, he's at home and he's privately growing in this wisdom and this strength. Because it, it ends and concludes and says he grows, he's growing in God's favor. At the end, it's public because he's not only growing in God's favor, he's growing in the favor of man. And so Luke is saying there's something that's happening here. There's some part of this that's very important for us to understand everything that comes after here. And so our second clue is this, is that Luke tells us in verses 39 and 51 that Jesus is from Nazareth. Now Nazareth, 
we know it because we read this a lot, right? But at the time, Nazareth was not a very well-known place. It'd be kind of like saying Jesus was from Forestell. Anybody know Forestell? Perfect. I know Forestell because I grew up outside of Forestell. It's about, I don't know, hour west of here, okay? And it is mostly farmland. There's not a lot going on in Forestell. That's not to disparage the people of Forestell. There's just not a lot of cultural significance and moving things forward that's happening in Forestell, right? So it'd be like him saying that. Jesus is from Nazareth, and Luke says this twice in here. Now, he doesn't need to say it twice. He could have just said it once, and we would have all known he's from Nazareth. But he says it twice as if to emphasize Jesus is in Jerusalem, but according to what's going on in Jerusalem, he does not belong in Jerusalem because he's from Nazareth. He's not a cultural or intellectual elite. He's from Forestell. Again, not to disparage people in Forestell. <laughs> right? So he says he's from Nazareth, and he's really highlighting that Jesus is not a Levite. He's not part of the typical temple worker paradigm. Now, in verse 42, we also read that Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. And this is important for a number of reasons, but most importantly is that at 12, at this time, that's when Jewish boys and girls would have been recognized as adult worshipers. They would have been responsible for knowing the law and following it at this point. So, so while Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple every year at Passover, this one specifically is important because this is kind of Jesus' confirmation. This is sort of the public declaration to everybody that this young boy is now an adult and he's responsible for understanding the law. Now, now, the rest of his life, he would have learned how to apply that law. But at this point, he's responsible for at least knowing it. And so this is a public declaration that Jesus is an ideal Israelite boy. He's a worshiper. He's part of the community. He has a place in it. So we have, we have Jesus, who's growing in, in wisdom. He's from Nazareth, and he's 12 years old. And he comes and he sits with these people. And, if, and there's this little phrase that Luke continues in. This is our next clue. It's in verse 46, and it's really easy to miss because it's one word. In 46, he says, After three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers. Now, among is a very common phrase that gets used all over the Bible. It's like used countless of times because it literally just means you're with somebody else. But what's significant is that Luke uses this word when Jesus is in the temple. Now, if we go all the way back in, in Israel's history to the Exodus, right after they come out of Egypt, and God is, is giving them the law, in Exodus 25, verse 8, he's talking to Moses and saying, this is what I want you to do with the tabernacle. I want you to build this tabernacle, and I want you to put it in the middle of the people because I am going to be in it, and I will be among, or in the midst of, or in the middle of my people. So Jesus, so Luke's saying this about Jesus, that he was among the teachers, he was among the people in the temple is significant. And then last, lastly, when Mary finally finds him and confronts him and says, why did you distress us this way? Jesus looks at her and says, didn't you know I would be here? Now this, this, 
the Greek here is kind of funky. Literally, it translates as, did you not know in this of my father must be I? So a lot of you probably, if you, especially if you're reading the ESV, it says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Which makes sense. He's in the temple. But I think, because it's a little bit unclear, you can also translate it as, didn't you know I would be doing my father's business? Didn't you know I would be about what my father is about? I would be doing the things that my father does. Jesus, this 12-year-old boy from Nazareth, the outsider, has come into the temple in the midst of his people to do something new, to fill things out. And what he is doing as he's growing wise and old is he is bringing blessing upon the nations. So we have to ask ourselves, what is his father's business? Well, if we look back at verse 40 and verse 52 again, we go back to these phrases of growing wise and old and in favor with God and man. What Jesus is doing is he's taking the blessing of growing in wisdom of his father, of understanding how this world works, of growing in the fear of the Lord. He's taking that blessing of knowing those things and he's now opening up the gates wide so that that blessing can be shared all around. He's taking the blessings of God and blessing others with them. Now, of course, this is not really new to the Israelites or shouldn't have been. Because all the way back in Exodus, about the same time that God was giving them the instructions for the tabernacle, he told them, you are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to be my blessing to the nations around you. And of course, as we read through the Old Testament, what we see is that the Israelites failed at that time and time again. Even the priests, the very ones who are here, these ones who have come down from this priestly line who Jesus is teaching, right off the bat, they build a golden calf. And then Aaron's sons, when they finally have everything in place, they bring the wrong kind of incense in and they don't follow God's directions and they they start to bring in other kinds of worship. And so Jesus is saying, I've come to do something different. I've come to replace this system that is messed up. That's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. I've come to bless the nations. Israel had grown fearful of the nations. In Jesus' time, when they're on the scene here, they're afraid of the influence of the nations. Rome rules over Israel. And Israel is thinking to themselves, if they could just get pure enough, then God might visit them again and bring blessing upon them. Now, of course, Israel was supposed to to be a blessing to the nations because Adam failed. If we go all the way back to the very beginning, that was the original call of Adam, right? He He and Eve were supposed to essentially be priests, in the creation. They were supposed to represent God before the creation and supposed to represent the creation before God, and yet they failed at that. And in the midst of that story, God looks down and says, I will call my son Israel out of that, and he, he will bless the nations. He will bless the creation. And they failed. And so Jesus enters in here into the temple and signals to them all, I will succeed where you have failed, so that you can succeed. Jesus is the ideal Israelite who's also the ideal Adam 
He's signaling that he's come to do what God intended to do all along, which was to bring in the Gentiles, to bring in the world into the sanctuary so that they could become holy, which is really great news for all of us because I have a feeling that for the majority of us, we do not share Jewish ancestry. And in fact, we probably all come from lineages that are Gentile and pagan and have horrible things in our past, way, way, way back. And yet Jesus has opened wide the doors so that we could be here on January 2nd, 2022, talking about him and praising him. So this past fall, um, a number of our high schoolers um, got together with some other youth ministries in the area. And we went all over um, St. Louis to do some work projects. And our high schoolers specifically went to two different spots. Uh, one was in the Wellston Jennings area, and one was in the West End. And if you know both of those places at all, they're not uh, the nicest places, always. They tend to be a little bit rough. Um, and our students went to do a couple of different work projects to serve some of the people, um, some of our brothers and sisters who, who live here. So in, in the West End, um, there's an empty lot. There's a number of these, but this one we went to specifically, it was an empty lot that the people in the community have um, developed neighborhood gardens. And so we went and we uh, cleared out um, uh, old raised garden beds, raked leaves, just kind of some normal things that you do in the fall if you have a garden or you have a yard, right? And the other group went to this widow's home and they cleared uh, vines and weeds from her fence line. Now these things, what our students were doing as they were doing this, was they were living out their call to be royal priests, because they were representing God in very tangible ways to the people of our city. And that's what Jesus has called all of us to do. He invites all of us into his Father's business regardless of where we're at or what we do. He's called us to be his kingdom of priests in this world. Naturally, if you kind of think that out, you have to ask yourself, though, where am I actually supposed to do this? Because I can't be doing work projects all the time. I have people to feed and take care of, and I have a job to go to. So sometimes it is things like mission trips, and it is things like work projects, and those are important things that we do. But I think Luke gives us some clues in this passage about where we're supposed to be doing these things. If we look at Mary and Joseph, look at verse 39 with me. It says, that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. The example that they're setting before Jesus and then eventually all of his brothers and maybe sisters, the example that they're setting before them is one of following the law, of being obedient to the Lord, of being in relationship with the Lord. And so they're putting this before their kids. They're showing them in their day in, day out, year in, year out, what it looks like to follow the Lord. If we go two more verses, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Again, they're showing their kids what it looks like to follow the Lord just through their faithful obedience in their day-to-day lives. It's not something they go and do elsewhere. It's something that they're doing in their own home all the time. And we read that Jesus grew because of the example and leadership of Mary and Joseph. But Paul Later in Ephesians, we'll take up the same idea. And in the beginning of chapter 5, he tells us to be imitators of Christ. And then at the end of chapter 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, he tells us exactly where we're supposed to imitate Christ. And it is not somewhere else. 
It is at our home. It's at our work. It's with the people that we are with 365 days of the year and 24 hours a day and seven days a week. It's with our kids, our wives, our husbands, our friends, our coworkers. It's with the people that we share life with on a regular basis. That's where we are called to be God's royal priests in this world. If we go back to our passage in Luke, Luke uses the verbs for coming and going in six different verses. And it says that Mary and Joseph went out to worship and then they came back home. And then they went out to worship and then they came back home. And it was this regular cycle of going out and coming in and going out and coming in and bringing their kids along with them that they were showing them this is what it looks like to follow the Lord. This is what it looks like to be obedient. This is how we pass on our faith to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I think in God's great design, this is actually how he deals with all of the problems in the world. It's in the year in, year out, day out, day in, day out living. For many of us, we have somebody who has faithfully shown us how to follow Jesus, to live out our royal priesthood. I can, I can think of all of my Sunday school teachers and my youth leaders when I was in high school and middle school who showed me what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And I walk in their path now. Adults, this is our call before all of the young people that are in our church, all the children, all the youth, I love whenever we do baptisms or membership stuff and we all have to stand up and say that we are committing to raising our kids because we are. Husbands, this is true for your wives and wives, this is true for your husbands and employers and employees, year in, year out, day in, day out, how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we we act toward each other. That's how God brings the kingdom. So uh, Emily, my wife, back in October, just started going back to full-time nursing again. Um, and, and so she has to leave at like six in the morning, uh, which leaves me, because my schedule's more flexible, getting all of our kids, I have five kids, if you don't know, I have five kids, um, getting them all ready to go to school. And so I wake up when she wakes up at about 4.45 in the morning, and I go downstairs, and I have to make lunch for all of these children. And I loathe making lunch for all of these children, if I'm being just really honest. Because it's the same thing every single day. And with that, I know that even though I'm gonna, I am going to do my best and I'm going to mostly put my heart and soul into making them lunch. When they get back in the car, when I pick them up in the afternoon, what I'm not going to hear is, Dad, I could just taste your love in the sandwich you made me today. What I am going to hear is, why didn't you cut the crust off? Or, why didn't you put cookies in my lunch today? I didn't want this granola bar. I'm sorry, I care about your health. Right? But I'm reminded in those moments of Matthew 25, where Jesus says, when you feed the hungry, which generally I think is referring to people who cannot feed themselves, but I also think includes our kids because they can't really feed themselves, that I'm feeding him. And so I am following in his footsteps when I make lunch for my kids. And when you do whatever it is for the people that are in your life, when you care for them, when you love them, you are doing the work of Christ. You are being royal priests. 
Of course, it's also easy in those moments, feeling the year in, year out, day in, day out, feeling like nobody notices and nobody cares, to just go to our distractions. And so it's really easy for me as well in those wee hours of the morning to stare at the food that needs to be put together and made and instead hop on Amazon and look at some new running gear that I might want or check to see if the news has changed in the last five minutes. What is it about being about our Father's business that is so difficult, that makes it so easy to go to these distractions? Again, I think Luke gives us some clues. The first is this. The gospel, God's movement of the kingdom, this thing that Jesus is doing, is really slow. It's 30-plus years from his birth until Jesus finally does his public ministry. And we might expect, after the big pomp and circumstance of the Christmas story, of the angel choirs coming down and all the things that happen, we might expect what happens next to be something out of a Marvel movie, where Jesus all of a sudden explodes into this massive uh, warrior-like superhero and smites all of Israel's enemies. And yet, they go home. And they come to the temple every year. And then they go back home. And it's just that over and over and over again. The gospel moves slowly. The gospel is also very simple in the way that it's administered. It's really tempting for us, I think, to want to grab onto big solutions and to do some big new thing. And that's why all of our tech companies are doing all the things that they're doing. And yet, God chose a carpenter's son. He came through a carpenter and a poor young girl to bless the whole world. It's often simple things, just our day in, day out, year in, year out. And I think the last reason it's so difficult is because it's painful. We look at Mary's life. There were most definitely times of joy. But everything we read in the Gospels, most of it, coupled with pain. She carries Jesus in her womb, but everybody looks at her and thinks that she has been unfaithful to Joseph. (laughs) She's raising the Son of God, and he goes missing on her. (laughs) I mean, you're responsible for making sure the Son of God makes it to adulthood, and you lose him. And not just that, for like five days, he's gone. (laughs) Right? And then, at the very end of his life, she watches her son die the death of a criminal, humiliated, watching him in agony and pain. Her life of doing what God had called her to do was painful. We often face rejection when we live out this call to be God's priests in this world. It can be discouraging, right? We can pour into our kids year after year, day after day, and they can still grow into adulthood and reject this Jesus that we love so much. And it can be tempting for us to just give up altogether and think, what is the point of any of this? What hope do we have? I have some good news for you, and it's right here in Luke. Jesus is our priest. That's the whole point he came. That's what he's doing in this passage is he's coming to tell us, I I am the great high priest. I'm the one. 
if we look back through this, Jesus didn't wait until all of these Israelites had everything together, until the priesthood got their act together and were living out what they were supposed to do for him to come. He came so they could live it out. He comes in their midst, better than any of them, to say, I have come so that you can do what you were always meant to do. The author of Hebrews gets at the same thing when he says that, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, saying, I have gone before you. I have shown you the way and I have actually made the way clear so that you can do it. And this is the kicker. I am walking with you every single day in your day in, day out, your year in, year out, when it feels simple, when it feels slow, and when it feels painful. I am in that with you, showing you how to get to the end. You and I are not responsible for the results of what happens. We're only responsible to live out what God has called us to do every day. And I know that's scary for some of us because it means releasing control. But we have to trust the God who is higher and had a way better, bigger plan than anybody was expecting. So my challenge to us today is to follow Jesus and to be about our Father's business. So in uh, 2020, I know, scary year, at the very beginning of it, I remember really clearly there are a lot of preachers and a lot of like really uh, fun Facebook things, I think, talking about 2020 being the year of vision because of 2020 vision. Does that make sense? There you go. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't come up with it. I thought it was kind of hokey. Everybody else thought it was clever. It got used a lot, right? And then I thought it was really funny as 2020 went along, right? Because immediately, all of a sudden, there's this pandemic that's creeping up. Now, in my hubris, I remember thinking, oh, COVID is probably like Ebola from a few years ago that just stayed in Africa. And so I was thinking this will just stay in Asia, and I'm really sad for them, but I'm going to go about my life. And then a few months later, my kids were at home all the time. And I was like, I'm ready for this to be over with. And so... Um, then we had a contentious election and there were murder hornets and just stuff on stuff on stuff. And I think for many of us, what we could and should have been asking was, God, what are you doing? What is going on? As we read this passage, I think God's answer would have been, what I've always been doing. The circumstances don't matter. I've been calling my people and to be my priests to care for my creation, to, to befriend their neighbors, to love well the people that are around them, to do acts of charity and kindness and to bring their petitions before me. And that's exactly what we are supposed to be doing now in 2022. It hasn't changed. And it won't change next year or the year after that or the year after that. In whatever sphere that we find ourselves in, whatever place of life that we are in, God's call to us is to be his priest, to love and care well for those around us, to lead them, to guide them, and to help them grow in wisdom and strength. So might I propose a set of new resolutions for us this year, since it's that time of year. Resolve to be God's priest in wherever you're at, to follow after Jesus, and to do what he does. And when you fail, look to him so that he can tell you, I already covered that. You're good. Keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our high priest. 
thank you that you have loved us so well, that your plan was way bigger than anything. God, thank you that us, 2,000 years later, get to gather here in St. Louis to worship you. Lord, knowing that many of our backgrounds had us worshiping so many other things. Thank you that you have enlightened us and helped us to see that we need you and that you've bathed us in your grace. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. God, we love you. I pray for my my friends as they leave today, that you would bless them in their day-to-day and their year-to-year and whatever it is they're facing even this week. God, that you would help them to have endurance. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.